Okay, so now we are going to move to part two, and part two of this class relates primarily to pressure injury staging, but we'll also talk about tools you can use in wound assessment and issues related to photo documentation. So there you see what we're going to talk about. So pressure injury staging is one of those things that many of us in wound care wish we didn't have to do because it sounds easy, but it's not. It's frequently very confusing and it provides limited information. So here are the current guidelines. First of all, staging is limited to pressure injuries. If it's a pressure injury, you should stage it. If it is not a pressure injury, if it's caused by moisture, it's caused by friction, if it's caused by venous disease or chill disease, neuropathy, do not stage. So the only thing that gets staged is pressure injuries. What are your clues that you're dealing with a pressure injury? Again, over a bony prominence, under a medical device, or very occasionally you'll have pressure injury involving soft tissue in a patient who was found down. So maybe I fell and I fell on my right side and yes, I do have necrosis over the trochanter, but it extends to the upper thigh because of the way I was lying. So if you know pressure was involved, if it's under a medical device, if it's over a bony prominence. But if this looks like incontinence-associated dermatitis, intertriginous dermatitis, if this looks like a skin tear, you do not stage. Also, if it's a medical device-related pressure injury that involves the mucous membranes, we do not stage those wounds because the anatomy of mucosal tissue is different than the anatomy of skin and soft tissue. So staging sounds easy, but in actual clinical practice, it's quite a challenge and requires an excellent understanding of anatomy. So the goal in pressure injury staging is to identify the tissue layers that are involved and the anatomic depth of the wound. In other words, what tissue layers are missing, what tissue layers are exposed. Fortunately, staging does not direct treatment because it's such a challenge that if it was critical to accurate treatment, we would be very discouraged. So you want to know what staging does and what staging doesn't do. So it does tell you the tissue layers involved, so the depth of injury. It does not direct treatment. It does not reflect progress in healing. So it is a measure of wound severity, tissue layers lost, tissue layers exposed. But not the most important assessment factor. So now we're gonna go through each of the six stages according to the National Pressure Injury Advisory Panel. That is the group that is responsible for any changes in our staging system. So WCN recommends adoption of the NPIAP staging system. It is used around the world. It has been adopted by many, many other groups. This is the system we want you to know. This is the system on which you'll be tested. So stage one is actually pretty easy because it's non-blanchable erythema of intact skin. So the fact that the skin remains intact, you have persistent erythema 
When you press a clear disc over it, it does not blanch. When you put your finger over it and move your finger, it does not blanch. Very easy to assess a stage one in people with light skin and medium tone skin. But if you have very, very dark skin, if your skin is blue-black, it's gonna be very difficult to recognize non-blanchable erythema because it's not gonna be very visible. So for patients with very darkly pigmented skin, in addition to visual assessment over bony prominences, it helps to do palpation so that you can pick up any temperature changes, any palpatory changes. So in addition to this color change that may or may not be visible, other things that we frequently palpate with a stage one is an area that is warmer or cooler than the surrounding tissue. Um, and areas that might feel a little bit fluctuant or a little bit indurated. So light skin, you just need to visualize. Medium skin, you just need to visualize. Very darkly pigmented skin, you're looking and touching so that you can pick up any changes in temperature or turgor. For the patient with a stage one, remember that what a stage one tells you is that there's been limited tissue damage, that there's an acute inflammatory response, and that almost always, if you intervene appropriately, relieve the pressure, prevent shear force, prevent friction damage, almost always these will resolve spontaneously, will never open to a deeper wound. What about deep tissue injury? So deep tissue injury also involves a color change of intact skin, but there's a big difference in the color. So with stage one, it's persistent erythema, non-blanchable erythema. But with deep tissue injury, you have intact skin, typically, I'm gonna come back to that non-intact, typically intact skin with a localized area of persistent, non-blanchable, discoloration and the discoloration is usually either deep red like a maroon color, um, frequently purple or purple black or sometimes gray black like you, the purple and uh, maroon you see on the bottom, maroon you see on top. You can also see a blister that's filled with bloody fluid, so a hemorrhagic blister or a hemorrhagic bulla over a bony prominence would be classified as a deep tissue injury. Now again, you frequently have pain and temperature change that you can palpate. Most of the time, these color changes are pretty visible, but again, in darkly pigmented skin, it's much easier to miss. So when you have darkly pigmented skin, you augment visual inspection with palpation. Now let's talk more about deep tissue injury. We are seeing a lot of these wounds. So you've got deep tissue injury on top. You've got eschar on bottom. So we've already said that it's an area typically of intact skin, but with definite discoloration that usually ranges from maroon to um, a purple hue and sometimes to purple black. 
Deep tissue injury is thought to be caused by intense or prolonged pressure. The injury is thought to originate at the muscle bone interface. So when do we usually see these? In patients who are bound down or in patients who have been immobile for prolonged periods of time. They were in the operating room. They were extremely unstable and we couldn't turn them for a period of time. Problem with deep tissue injury is that you cannot, through visual inspection, accurately determine the depth of the injury. We suspect that it extends to the deep tissues based on what we see at the surface. And in fact, many of these rapidly evolve to full thickness tissue loss, to either a stage three or a four. Some progress to partial thickness and then heal. A few resolve spontaneously without ever progressing to an open wound. So one of the challenges with deep tissue injuries is you see changes at the surface. You're not sure exactly how deeply the tissue damage extends. It looks like it's deep, but it may not be deep and you can have multiple outcomes. You can have spontaneous resolution, no open wound, very small percentage of patients. You can have progression to a stage two partial thickness wound that heals fairly rapidly, relatively small percentage, or you can have fairly rapid progression to a three or a four or an unstageable, which is what we typically see. Now again, you do not use deep tissue injury to describe non-pressure wounds. This is pressure wounds only. And one thing that is sometimes confusing is that you can have a deep tissue injury, so you have all this purple maroon discoloration, but then many times you start to get skin slippage. So the skin starts to slough. So you may have an area measuring say eight by six that is this purple maroon discoloration. And then right at the periphery, you might have a little area where the skin is separating and sloughing and the wound bed looks red or pink red. But you don't want to restage the wound at that point because you have incomplete exposure of the wound bed. So you would continue to describe it as a deep tissue injury with epidermal sloughing involving, say, 20% of the wound. So blistering and sloughing may occur within 72 hours, but you should continue to classify the wound as a deep tissue pressure injury until the wound resolves, until it's covered with eschar and you would reclassify it as unstageable, or until there's viable tissue in the wound bed that allows you to classify it as a two, three, or four. Stage two. Stage two is one of the most difficult to stage. So most people, when they are complaining about staging, they say stage one's pretty easy, deep tissue pressure injury is pretty easy, unstageable's easy, four's easy. But two and three, they can look so similar. Those are the ones I have trouble with. So let's see what we know about stage two. So stage two, by definition, is a partial thickness pressure injury. You have epidermal loss. You have exposed dermis. So first of all, it's gonna be very superficial. The wound bed will either be pink, P, 
pink red or pink white, depending on whether the basement membrane of the epidermis is exposed or whether it extends into the dermis. So if you look at the wound on top, most of the wound is pink red, but can you see the little areas that are kind of pink white? That's where you have dermal involvement. Same thing on the bottom. Stage twos can also present as serum-filled clear blisters. So if you have a clear fluid-filled blister over a bony prominence, you would classify that as a stage two pressure injury. With a stage two, there is no exposed fat. There is no exposed muscle. You do not have slough. You do not have eschar. You do not have granulation tissue. You do not have undermining and you do not have tunneling. So sometimes that can help. The fact that stage two pressure injuries are always superficial or very shallow. Maximum depth would usually be 0.2 centimeters. No necrosis, no undermining, no tunneling, no granulation tissue. That also helps. And remember, stage two does not refer to moisture-associated skin damage, medical adhesive-related skin injury, traumatic wounds like abrasions or skin tears. Stage three. So stage three is a full thickness tissue injury because it extends through the epidermis and dermis into the fat. And there will be viable fat visible in the wound base. You also might have thin layer of slough because slough is a vascular fat. But there will be no muscle, no bone, no joint, no tendon. You might have slough, you might very rarely have eschar, you do not typically have eschar, but you might have a thin layer of slough. You might have some undermining or tunneling, especially in an obese patient. You could see some granulation tissue. It's possible that you could see rolled wound edges of pippling. The depth is variable, but it's typically greater than 0.2 centimeters because remember the skin layers themselves are usually about 0.2 centimeters in thickness. And in some wounds, there's no way you would have a stage three because in some areas there is no subcutaneous tissue. So what about the bridge of the nose? What if you got a medical device related pressure injury over the bridge of the nose? there would not be a stage three because there's no subcutaneous tissue there. So it would either be a stage two or a stage four. If there's exposed cartilage, it would be a stage four. And that brings us to stage four. So a stage four progresses through the fat into underlying structures, muscle, tendon, ligament, cartilage, or bone. Very common to see necrotic tissue. You could see slough, eschar, or a combination. You may see or palpate bone. Very common to have tunneling or undermining. The depth itself is variable. It's gonna depend on the patient's body habitus. Are they obese? Are they very thin? So you could have a stage four in a very thin patient that maybe is no deeper than 0.4 centimeters. Or you could have a stage four in a morbidly obese patient that is three centimeters deep or more. So the giveaway that it's a stage four is what you see in the wound bed. The wound on top, there's 
definitely exposed muscle in that wound bed. So I can go ahead and stage that as a stage four, even though there's some eschar. Stage four is the deepest it goes, and I can see muscle, so I know it's a four. In the wound on bottom, I could palpate bone. So if I can see or palpate bone, I already know it's a four. What about unstageable? You should classify the wound as unstageable if it is totally obscured, if the wound base is obscured by slough and or eschar so that you cannot confirm the depth of injury. So if you look at the wound on top, you would bet me under the table that that's going to be a stage four. I wouldn't bet you back because you're right. But you can't call it a stage four at this point because the entire wound bed is obscured by eschar. So you would have to classify that as unstageable. The wound on bottom is also obscured by necrotic tissue. Now, I'm thinking this may end up being a stage three, but again, I can't classify it until enough of the necrotic tissue has been eliminated that I can see to the wound base and I know what tissue is present in the wound base. So I know it's a three or a four, you never get an eschar or slough with stage two. When the slough or eschar are removed, then you will restage. It's either a three or four, depending on the depth of tissue. Now one point, you never remove eschar just to stage a wound. You only remove eschar if it's indicated from a therapeutic perspective. We'll go into great detail as to when debridement is indicated and when it's contraindicated. So here are things to think about in trying to assure optimal accuracy and in pressure injury staging. First of all, if you have a wound that's partially obscured by necrotic tissue, but you can see or palpate muscle, tendon, bone, or cartilage, you can go on and stage it as a four. There is no stage five. So once you can see muscle, see or palpate bone, see tendon, you already know it's a four. So if you look at the wound on the far left, yes, much of the wound bed is obscured by eschar, but you can see exposed avascular tendon. You can go in and stage that. In contrast, the wound in the center, essentially the whole wound bed is obscured by eschar. I can't stage it yet. If I look at the wound on the right, it's partially obscured by slough, but again, I can see muscle. I can go ahead and stage that. What about medical device-related pressure injuries? What are the guidelines for staging those? Well, first of all, medical device-related pressure injuries, that terminology actually describes the etiology of the injury, okay? The medical device caused the pressure. If it's medical device-related, the shape and size of the injury will match the shape pattern of the device, so it will it will be very clear, oh, this was a bedpan. Oh, this was the non-rebreathing mask. Oh, this was the endotracheal tube pressing against the lip. Oh, this was the gastrostomy tube or the tracheostomy. Remember that medical device-related pressure injuries can either involve skin or mucous membranes. You do not stage mucosal medical device-related pressure injuries. You do stage 
medical device-related pressure injuries that involve the skin and soft tissues, but you typically need to modify your staging because many of these injuries involve tissues that lack sub-Q tissue. So again, over the bridge of um, the nose, over the ear, you would not have a stage three. It would either be one, two, four, or unstageable. Now there are definitely limitations to pressure injury staging. First of all, they always want you to stage when you see the wound the first time. But you have to delay staging if the wound bed is necrotic, unless you can already see muscle, tendon, bone, or cartilage. That's why we have the category unstageable. You look at the wound and you cannot verify whether it's a three or a four, you classify it as unstageable until the wound bed is adequately exposed. Here's a big problem with our staging system. There is no stage for a granulating wound. So let's say I've just admitted this patient. I go to assess the wound. The wound is 100% granulation tissue. I'm like, well, what stage is that? There's no stage for granulation tissue. I know it has to be a three or a four because stage two wounds don't granulate, they epithelialize. So it's a three or a four. There's no way to tell which it is unless I know the patient's history or unless the patient or family can tell me. So if I know the original stage, then I can classify it as a granulating stage three or a granulating stage four. Otherwise, I will have to say it's a granulating full stage pressure injury. And finally, you wanna make sure that everyone knows we do not reverse stage pressure injuries. So pressure injuries don't go from a four to a three to a two to a one. So let's say I started out with a stage four. So that means that the wound extends to the muscle layer. I've lost epidermis, dermis, and sub-Q. So if this week I classify it as a stage four and two weeks from now I classify it as a stage three, I'm saying that now there's sub-Q tissue in that wound. Well, that's not right. You can't reform, regenerate sub-Q tissue. No, it's gonna fill with scar. So it's anatomically and physiologically incorrect to reverse stage a four or a three. Now, a two, a stage two will epithelialize and it will go back to normal tissue. So yes, a two completely resolves. A four, a three, fill with scar tissue, cover with skin, and leave behind tissue that is more vulnerable. So they never completely go away. Now there are some um, assessment and documentation tools out there that you should know about. Some people use partial thickness, full thickness rather than the full staging system, but that is not an accepted approach. You should be using the NPIAP staging system. For pressure injuries, you can use partial thickness and full thickness to describe non-pressure related wounds, to describe burn wounds, to, to describe a skin tear, an abrasion, whatever. There is a tool that has been used a lot. It's called the BWAT. It's the Bates-Jensen Wound Assessment Tool. It's a, um, available both in hard copy and electronic formats. It's very comprehensive. 
and each of your assessment parameters tracks to a numeric indicator so that you end up with a total score that represents wound status and that improves as wound status improves. So it does take a little while to do, but it gives you very objective, very helpful information. There's a very simple tool that has been used in some settings. It's called the Pressure Ulcer Scale for Healing. Very simple, and it also yields a numeric indicator of wound status. It only incorporates three parameters, and that is surface area, so length times width, volume of exudate, and type of tissue in the wound bed. But interestingly, it has been shown in limited studies to be a valid indicator of progress in healing. What about photo documentation? So some of you probably do take photos of wounds and incorporate them into your electronic medical record. And maybe others of you are in settings where they're like, no, we don't wanna do that. It puts us at greater risk from a legal perspective. So what do we currently know about photo documentation? There are some definite advantages. First of all, think about having um, a visual indicator of wound status. So if any of you have worked in settings where you did have photo documentation, and then you went to a setting without, you miss that because you can see so much in a photo. So a plus is that it effectively supports written documentation. So you say the wound is 75% granulation tissue, 25% clean non-granulating, you can see it in the photo. For patients, it can be incredibly helpful. So sometimes you have patients, they're not so worried about their wound because they can't see it. So on the plantar surface of their foot is sacrococcygeal in their wheelchair band. But if you take a photo and show it to them, they can see why you're so worried. And many times it promotes patient adherence to the treatment plan. Also, very helpful to staff. So sometimes a physician will say, I can't get there, please take a photo, send it to me so I can see what the wound looks like. It is very protective of your agency if you take photos of wounds that are present on admission. So it can actually avert a lawsuit in that situation. And if you're in home care and you're doing telehealth, you absolutely have to have photo documentation. You can't do a good job without it. So why are some people opposed? What are the cons? Concerns about manipulation of digital data. Um, so some things that people are working through. A bigger concern is how are we going to store and secure the digital data and make sure that nothing can be changed, that dates can't be changed. There are definitely technical and infection control um, issues. So first of all, if you're gonna do photo documentation, you have to determine who's going to do it. You have to get the cameras. You have to teach everybody involved appropriate labeling and appropriate um, photo documentation. They have to know how to handle the camera correctly to get a clear photo. So they know how far to stand back. Are you gonna get two photos, one of the whole area and a close up of the wound itself? What are the guidelines? You should have a little um, strip that is included, included in the photo 
that includes, includes some kind of patient identifier like their medical record number and the date and it should not be modifiable. And you need to be sure that everyone knows about infection control strategies related to photo documentation. So you think how easy it would be to contaminate the camera then take the camera from room to room. So you have to have a very clear protocol that says the camera stays outside, maybe until you go in, wash your hands, put on gloves, take off the old dressing, irrigate the wound, create your little um, patient identifier strip, place that underneath the wound, take off your gloves, wash your hands, go get the camera, come in, take the picture, and then put the camera up before you resume wound care. That way you avoid contamination, but you have to have a very clear policy and procedure. So here's your guidelines. This is what I was just talking about. You have to include a measuring tape that validates wound dimensions. You want your medical record number. You want the site and you want the date. And we've already said you need policies and procedures and clear guidelines for infection control. So general tips for improving documentation, it should be very clearly defined who is gonna document what and what uh, frequency documentation should be done. So if you're going to do comprehensive assessment and documentation on a weekly basis, is it a staff nurse responsibility? Is it a wound care team responsibility? Be very clear. If you're in a setting and you have the option to use structured assessment tools, either electronic or hard copy, most of them are now electronic, that's very helpful. It provides guidance to clinicians it helps assure that documentation is comprehensive and nothing is missed. So you can build in fields in your electronic medical record keeping system that assures that you capture critical data. So in summary, pressure injury staging is an important responsibility for wound care nurses. It is not always easy. Fortunately, it's done only for pressure injuries. You base the stage on the depth of the wound, and I'm not talking centimeters depth, I'm talking tissue layers involved. When you look at the wound base, what type of tissue do you see in the wound bed? If you see slough and eschar, you cannot yet stage, it's unstageable. If you see viable sub-Q tissue, it's stage three. If you see muscle, tendon, ligament, bone, it's stage four. Documentation, critically important. If you ever find yourself in court, you're gonna be grateful for everything you wrote down. So think about what tools are available that might make comprehensive documentation a little bit easier. There are a lot of electronic tools and every electronic medical record keeping system does allow you to create or modify your fields for documentation of wound status. So you may end up working with your IT team to make sure that you're building in the parameters you want to capture. Okay, we are through with this class and in the next class we're going to move on and we're going to talk about topical therapy.